0: and
1: welcome everyone to episode two of deep dish discussions not a cooking podcast but a slow spin sidey track special where i paul your casual fix nerd discuss with david your actual semi-pro track racer from down under hi david
2: hey paul how are ya?
1: i am doing great it is pretty early here it's not that early for you but no. i enjoy early recordings
2: yeah, no, it's great. This is a good time for me to record, too, because I'll have dinner straight after the recording.
1: <laughs> Sounds like a good plan. Yeah, it is. All righty. This special DDD episode is dedicated to the recent events at the Track World Championship 2022 in Saint-Quentin-en-Yvelines, which is uh, a little bit outside of Paris.
2: Yeah, um, I believe this is going to be the host of the 2024 Olympic Games. So this will be the velodrome that we all are watching in a couple of years as well.
1: Exactly. It's a good-looking track as well.
2: Yeah, it seems to be pretty quick too. You you want to get started on well the track? Yeah, the track itself. So from what I can find, its name is the Velodrome National. I'm sure there's some French flair that's added to that, but that's just (laughs) my way of saying it. Um, So it's your standard 250-meter wooden velodrome um, with a 43.8-degree banking, and banking makes a huge difference with different degrees. So my experience with it is Anamir's Velodrome in Brisbane, our closest Mm -hmm. wooden track. It's 40-degree. So, the banks aren't as steep, which makes it harder to overtake through the banking because you're not getting as much as of a pull through the corners mm. and you have to ride a bit further as well. So, that makes a difference. So, this track kind of lends itself towards if you've got enough speed, you can come round people Um but it's kind of a mix of like best of both worlds essentially. And it also hosted um world champs back in twenty fifteen.
1: Alright. I looked at some of the, the races, especially you know, races with big groups. So yeah. omniums and uh, stuff like that, elimination race. Um and they were reaching crazy speed. Well oh, yeah, I wouldn't say no race. effort, but easily 70 Ks per hour.
2: Oh, yeah. You look at the men's, like, I mean, the men's Kieran's a bit of a, it's like the fastest event, but they, they touched yeah. 80. There was a yeah. point where the speedo read 80Ks an hour.
1: <laughs> which is a lot.
2: Yeah, which is a lot. Like, the G-force is being put through your body to hold yourself upright and continue to push power down through those banks. People often don't think of that, but you, you ever get to ride a boarded track, try and build up speed through a bank and see how your neck fares. It's not a pleasant experience if you're not used to
1: it yeah if you're not a jet fighter pilot then you're not used yeah, to you it haven't,
2: you haven't been doing 150 kilo hunches and weird neck strengthening exercises it may be a bit difficult <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so we get into um some of the interesting equipment i guess yeah yeah sure all righty so Um, I guess the painful thing about track cycling is it heavily relies on that Olympic cycle for technology. We don't really get anything exciting, um, for four years and then everything comes out. Every country has a brand new bike. So there wasn't nothing, it is a bit of a pain. It's not like road cycling where there's a new thing every year. Um, but still there's a couple of exciting revelations. So to pick on particular riders, Matthew Richardson, one of Australia's um, top sprinters, He's finally actually sporting an aero stem, which like essentially goes into the frame really nicely. It's super mm-hmm. sleek. Um, when I saw his bike at Oceanas and just following him on Instagram, he's been running just a standard road stem with an adapter to fit the Argon frame.
1: Oh, okay. Which I've always
2: thought, I'm like, rider of his level, surely they can whack together something. And I did a bit of stalking. And he did have a essentially like a one-piece setup because um, Argon does offer that, but he didn't okay. use it very long. I'm not sure if it doesn't fit his um, physique or his like the way he rides a bike or something, um, but I suspect it may have been a Bastion stem, which if you know the name Bastion, they're the ones who made the stem that failed at the Olympic Games. Yep, yep. So I suspect they're like, hey, if we've got pursuit guys who are snapping these stems, what the heck is a absolute mutant of a human going to do? to our STEMs as well. So that <laughs> might have been a reason for change. Um, and that that STEM incident didn't didn't just affect Australia at the Olympics. It also affected them at the Commonwealth Games as well. So Matthew Glatzer and Matthew Richardson and Tom Cornish all had to ride kilos on drop bars, which is not the way you're supposed to do it <laughs> usually. Usually you use pursuit bars because it's faster. Yeah. Um, but Matthew Glazer still went sub-minute with sprint bars. So he's still pretty damn quick. Um, and I guess when you're saying
1: life... kilos, you mean, you mean like
2: normal job bars? Yes. Normal sprint bars, like a setup, they would run in the kit or a sprint. So okay. not, not a, not a TT setup. I should put it might be a bit more I'm easy to understand. One other small thing I did notice about the TT setups used by the kilo riders, like Hoogland, um, Landenau, or like the French guy is they're using, They're called Pro Missile Evo Aero Bars, and these are old. These are a decade old, um, and they haven't changed the design, but they're still running them. Hoogland still smashed everyone on a set of Pro Missile Evo Aero Bars. Like They don't look spectacular. They just must be stupid stiff, and they just must be super reliable. So I imagine for a kilo, yes, Aero is important, but you want to be able to be punching out 1,500 watts. For a minute,
1: yeah, I know totally. it's also one thing that, yeah, was a bit off for a second because I've known those bars, you know yeah they've, they've been around for a while, and with all the recent technologies um and for four kilos and and stuff uh everybody like not everybody, almost everybody is running like one piece you know, Stan Mohandabar combo. Oh yeah. The
2: um, technology,
1: especially with the pursuit guys is insane. Yeah. So it became kind of the standard, but these are still around.
2: Yeah. And they're still expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they are. um, If I want to buy a set, they're about 1200 AUD brand new. So that's, I think about, I don't know, 700, 800 euro, maybe. Yeah. 700. So for a 10 year old piece of technology, They're still holding their own really well. I even think the Japanese guy was using them. He was the first Japanese guy to go sub-minute in a kilo ever. So that's exciting. Wow. Now, should we move on to, the, I guess, the most exciting piece of tech? Yes. Yes, do you want to introduce it for us,
1: Paul? So the new Canyon Speedmax Track CFR is the new Canyon flagship uh, track bike. And it's been a hot minute since Kenyon gave us that kind of stuff.
2: Mm, Yeah, so I think the last commercially available frame that I know of was the Canyon V-Drome alloy, so an alloy frame, and I was watching a YouTube video on it, and I think it was 2012, 2014. So, (laughs) again, getting to a decade old. Um, and the last time Canyon actually gave a damn about high-performance track cycling was that Speedmax, so same name, same family, the Speedmax WHR, which stands for World Hour Record, as used by um, pro Alex Dowsett and happy retirement, Alex Dowsett. He's, he's no longer a pro cyclist as of this year. Um, and he was successful on that bike for the World Hour attempt in 2015. So we know this company has some excellent pedigree not just in track cycling but also in world tts triathlons if you cans where i'm from being a triathlon city the amount of canyons you see everywhere is insane and they always look fresh and they're massive forks on them they look awesome so they know what they're doing when it comes to um this carbon tt bikes in general
1: yeah they are still expensive but if you look online for a used Uh, and older generation speed max they do have track dropouts Oh,
2: okay
1: yeah so you could technically make a track bike out of it though it's probably a 135 rear spacing yeah um but they do have track dropouts interesting yeah i might have to is
2: there a speed max in my future somewhere that I'm going to absolutely <laughs> just ruin and turn into a dodgy as track frame? Who knows? We'll see.
1: Would, would love that.
2: Would, lo- would absolutely love. love that. It's <laughs> <laughs> just the jankiest thing. Got a road <laughs> wheel in the back. Some pain I found online. Just weld the
1: cassette together.
2: Oh, that'd be great, mate. So actually, going off topic for a bit, somebody at training today snapped their chain because they had joined two different brands of chains together and thought this oh should no. be fine. And they did a standing start and I heard it go crunch and I'm like, sit down, don't keep pushing. And they kept pushing and the chain just exploded. So he was just like freewheeling. <laughs> did a lap freewheeling. The oh no. <laughs> weirdest thing I've ever seen. Anyways, get back to this canyon. So this canyon, it's obviously a full carbon pursuit only frame set i don't think there's any possibility they're gonna make a bunch version and it's not a sprint frame by any means but it looks like a spaceship it's insane especially with that american color scheme on it too like usually i'm not the biggest fan of american color schemes on bikes but this one looks really neat it's it looks sick it's not it's flashy without being over the top you know yeah it's retained but exciting looks good
1: it has that very angular shape that we've yeah, seen yeah. on their Argons, mm. um, and it's true that it fits really well with the with the zip wheels that we're gonna talk about later. Yeah, but uh, so yeah, it looks like a spaceship. It has like massive aerofoils. Aerofoils, sorry. Um In tubes all around they also so like i was telling in the previous episode uh they also make use of that recently relaxed three to one ratio rule Uh the uci yep. rule and like you put in the nose like very tall bottom bracket and a super interesting high seat stays yes so if you pay much attention to
2: any of the recent aerodynamic stuff um you notice a lot of bikes are dropping their seat stays super low. So TT bikes, I think, are the best for it because they don't have to be the most stiff things in the world because they're a TT bike, you're not dropping Watt Bombs on them. And Mm -hmm. so they have very low seat stays, whereas the Canyon, it takes them all the way up to the top and it has a really unique interface where the rear seat stays join the seat post seat tube area. Like it looks like it kind of reminds me of a futuristic table for some reason. Okay, yeah. Like that's how I would put it. Like, it's got these really funky legs and it comes up and there's like this little shelf bit that comes off the back of the seat tube. I'm sure we'll put photos of this in show notes or something because it's a really beautiful bike. Um, one other thing that was really getting my goat online is people were saying, oh, it's a copy of the Lotus and I'm like, open your eyes, you idiots. It looks nothing. I can see where they're coming from, but it's not super wide just because it's got really fat seat stays and they come up super high. Doesn't mean they're copying Lotus. They're not. They're not super wide, but they're not super narrow like we've seen on um, Ganas yeah. Pinarello. They're kind of like a mid mid range thing, I guess. I don't know how you'd put it.
1: Yeah, they're kind of in the middle, but the front though, the front is super narrow. Oh yeah, it looks good. And I guess um, we'll get in straight into those wheels.
2: So, wheels are supplied by Zip, and that's their Super oh, so I think it's Super Nine wheel. Yep. I believe that's what yep. it is. Um, And they are extremely narrow. So they are a flat disc. So when we talk about a flat disc is that they don't expand like a lenticular disc. They're not like the Mavic's that you can get um, or the fast forwards. They're completely flat. And they are that way because the fork, the Q factor of the fork and the rear stays on the bike are super narrow as well. So it has to fit in there perfectly. I think these are just a redeveloped version of the wheels that Australia uses in their Argon Pursuit bike as well because they are, again, a super nine, super narrow. Yeah. Um, and they will set you back $5,586 Australian dollars for one wheel. So, for an Australian, you're looking at eleven dollars for a wheel set. Um, one thing I noticed is the Australian ones are tubular only. However, the American team, they are actually using, it looks like a clincher setup. Because the tire says um, tubeless ready on the rear tire. There was a close-up photo of one, like a spy shot, mm-hmm. and it's a Vittoria Corsa Speed and a 25 mil, um, and it's a tubeless ready tire. So it's a clincher setup. It's really interesting.
1: It's prob. They probably went for uh, a tubeless setup, uh, like we've seen, for example, with um, Ashton Lambie's attempt, uh, successful attempt. He went like full tubeless. Mm, Yeah, Um, And he was saying that tubeless was actually the future of track cycling.
2: Yeah. I think the whole tubular thing is uh, tubulars are a pain in the ass, man. Like one of them, if, if it, you get a puncture, you've got to set back a couple hours and they're not cheap. (laughs) And if you live in Australia, it takes half a year to get tubulars (laughs) to you because you got to order them from Europe. But I'm really Mm. looking forward to a future where I can be competitive on a set of tubeless or clinch your tires that would be absolutely excellent
1: yeah
0: so
2: i'm all for it
1: hopefully soon hopefully soon
2: very expensive but hopefully soon yeah i just have to sell all my race wheels and repurchase some tubeless ones should be right let's go to get myself 11 grand and we should be sweet easy yeah that's easy Take <laughs> the wages i'll be there in six years <laughs>
1: uh our next point are the extensions and these are provided by guess who Watch shop uh, we yes. talked a lot about dan Bigham's uh brand last episode yes last episode
2: yeah yeah Pre- it was pretty much just the watch shop hour of yep. special really
1: yeah so the animoi is that the right way to say it i think that's how you pronounce it
2: animoi and i think uh i can't remember what it stands for it's some god of something i believe animoi is it's ancient ancient greek religious term for winds or wind
1: there you go Ah, that makes sense so those extensions uh bars they will allow for laws of adjustments and they also I mean they're aero bars, so they're here to ensure that you are a hundred percent aero with your bike. So up and Canyon co-design the monorizer holder to join well the frame to the bars, right? Yeah, because essentially the only thing that's watch shop is
2: the extensions, whereas the base bar and the riser to hold the extensions in. Um, Canyon made the base bar whereas the mono riser was had to be co-developed because with all new aero trickery there has to be all new brackets and holders made as well so it's going to need a fair bit of work to get there
1: yeah it's very exciting to see big brands like Argon 18 or uh, Canyon working with boutique shops like Bastion or Watch Shop to make something together
2: Yeah, it's really exciting, and I think if you delve into the world of triathlon especially, like the amount of little 3D printing businesses I have found on Instagram that specialize in um, TT solutions for triathletes and stuff is Mm -hmm. insane. Like I don't think we really scratch the surface of it much in road or track cycling, but for triathletes, man, they have it sorted out. Like they have every kind Mm -hmm. of solution you can imagine for aero bars you want to take the chain rings situation? Sure. Yes. So chain rings and cogs. So they are from the Capstein. Capstein, I think it's Capstein. Sorry. Capstein, yeah. Capstein. It's from their ProLine, which essentially is the 11-speed chain size for the track. Um, and then these are obviously attached to an SRM power meter crank set so they can get all their data and power readouts. Um that's going to vary depending on rider to rider. Like uh, from the shots I've seen online of the canyon, most riders were using the capstine setups, whereas some other riders. I guess it depends on what gearing you have available to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but that whole eleven speed chain size um, thing. There was chat about it in the group chat recently, um, and Fez, the German Institute for Track Cycling, they actually did a study on eleven speed chains in the track world and okay. they know that even the biggest track sprinters would not be able to bust an 11 speed chain designed for the track maybe a road really? chain really yes so if it was a road chain on a road bike yes maybe because you got a lot more flex but if you design an 11 a track chain in the 11 speed dimension they humans can't produce enough force to bust it maybe if it's old and worn possibly but any chain will go eventually if it's old and worn. But yes, Fez did some studies on it and found that, Hey, what's the point of us pushing around these BMX chains? If we're not actually going to be blowing them up, if we just take care of our bikes, which if you're German, you probably do. So
1: that's really interesting because I could totally see someone of a market transition from one, one ace to what it's what, like, Three three thirty two. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, uh, they already make super toughnesses in narrows. They make most of the big track chains in narrow fits already. Um, it's just up to you to find them.
1: I guess it's gonna be a one article for the slow spin Society is a review of a a three thirty two setup.
2: Yeah, because I think if like it makes sense if you don't need to be pushing around all that extra metal. I mean. Yeah. I could see it taking off in the pursuit world, which it kind of already has, and then maybe eventually we might see more track right like track sprinters getting into it. But I think obviously Capstein being a German brand developed for the Germans, it might take a bit of time for it to kind of get out there.
1: Yeah, I'd be I, I'm generally really interested on what it could do on the street. Like could it handle Skids and older shit we're throwing at it.
2: I guess skidding's a different story. That's a bunch of different forces. Like, oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I I don't ride much street, as you will probably know, but I would probably stick to a standard BMX chain. (laughs) Stuff, but yeah, I don't. It would be an interesting test to see, like a one year test, and see which one holds up more. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Unfortunately, I can't duplicate myself, but I'll I'll find a solution. Surely you got a friend who rides a fixed
2: gear somewhere, Paul? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> righty, and I guess to tie it all up, so it's very exciting to see Canyon getting back into track cycling now, um, and this frame's going to be in development for the Paris Olympics. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see some tweaks before then. Um, the bike won't be commercially available, however, until 2023, unfortunately, because I'm sure there's one of us somewhere who could buy one.
0: Um, oh yeah.
2: And very last thing is there was a bit of confusion. So felt is no longer the US track sponsor. However, you will still see American riders using felt for bunch start events, just because they're
1: very good. Yeah. Um, Especially the um, the woman uh, Jennifer Valence. Valentine something yeah. like oh, that. Yeah. Oh yeah, Valentine.
2: Yeah, she was using a felt, right? So that was developed for the um, 2020 Olympics. Yeah. That one came out. It's a really nice looking frame, too. Like, it's just super neat. It looks like a bit of a workhorse frame. Like, it's not super finicky. But yeah, I'm a big fan
1: of it. And I believe they were selling it in two versions. You could have a right side drivetrain and a left side drivetrain.
2: Oh, the white one that they were selling? Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. I still thought that was like the 2016 Olympics one when they went right hand, oh no, sorry, left hand drive side.
1: Yeah, I remember when we made the the Tokyo Olympic episode uh, felt uh, we were talking about all the new bikes and felt was still you you still had the option to buy a left drivetrain or a right drivetrain.
2: Yeah, you could buy them for a long time. Did you see what you actually got when you bought one of those? No. So you weren't just buying a bike; you were buying pretty much a whole setup so you were buying buying training wheels race wheels training cranks like power meter cranks and then your race cranks you were buying a storage box to ship it places and you were buying all the bits and pieces to set it up
1: wow it's an all-in-one solution
2: Yeah, so it was super expensive but if you are cashed up track rider somewhere i mean it comes with everything you don't have to track stuff down i think it even came with a full set of chain rings and cogs i believe like it was literally just a full setup like even if you started off with nothing you could be racing when the bike arrived the perfect beginner solution exactly if you've got a cool (laughs) it was a stupid amount of money i can't recall off the top of my head but it was i guarantee it was over sixty thousand australian dollars holy fuck yeah, wow, it, was, okay. it was dumb expensive. I can't recall. Um, and finally, you probably all would have seen, I think I shared something to the chat about it. Look is now the sponsor. Look and Coram, sorry, are the sponsor of the US sprint squad.
0: So, very yes, different I've seen entity. That.
2: So, don't be shocked if you see American sprinters on looks because that's what they are contractually obliged to use. Um, but it just means that Canyon will now be supplying the pursuit squad. So they're all kind of different bodies that work under the same flag and they're just using different products. It's a smart thing to do because then you're not forcing your endurance riders to use look frames, which they're still excellent pursuit frames, but they really suit that sprint style. So it's it's a good idea.
1: The T20 is a really, really good
2: platform. Ooh, yeah, T20 is is—it's probably the most ridden track bike at Worlds and Olympics just because you can go out and buy one.
1: Yeah. But it's crazy to think that America, they went with Kenyan, which is German, and Luke, which is French. When they have, like, track Felt, Cannondale, all of those crazy brands at home with Specialized, was. Like unbelievable amount of budget to R&D, yeah. etc.
2: No, I have a bit of a hatred of Specialized for the sheer fact that they just keep pumping out LA Sprint's track frames and they have the ability <laughs> to make, they could make a bomb carbon track bike and they could market it 20 grand and they would still sell it, but they just won't. I don't know why.
1: Have you ever seen the, the specialized aluminum track bike in real life? I have I've seen a couple. I've also seen um
2: extremely rare. It was a it was a tarmac frame, so an S Works tarmac that was converted professionally for an ex Australian pro rider.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And there was a guy at our club who purchased it and raced it for a while and it looks mint. I don't know I don't know if it's still in cans. I might have to contact the guy, get some photos of it, but it it's essentially a road frame that's been converted buy specialized for this rider and it's only one of a handful that are in existence. They don't look special. It's just a black and white paint job, but the rarity behind it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. I was going to say the, the weldings, the joints and the the general finish on the, the Alice sprint, the aluminum one, it's just ugly. It's really bad. I think it's just like we're trying to make it as stiff as
2: possible. But yeah, I don't. Yeah. I'm I'm very much a carbon man. As much as if you, you can hate me for that, but I love carbon fiber. It's my <laughs> favorite material. It's light. It's stiff. Yes, it can be expensive and it's rubbish for the environment. I just try to not break my bikes and buy secondhand if I can.
1: <laughs> right on. Uh, do you want to go on with the actual event and Excellent. what
2: happened? Yes, we spent most of our lives talking about a bike now let's talk about the racing so um it went across five days and it consisted of obviously all your major events so all your sprint events endurance events um yeah so day one it was mainly actually i'll just make a note when we talk about the races we're just going to talk about the finals mainly because there is a lot of races happening every single day and if we went through every single heat of every round this this episode would have no listeners. <laughs> Everyone would be tapping out after <laughs> forty minutes. So we're just focusing on the finals. So on day one, the major events were the team sprints, um, men's and women's, and also the women's scratch race. So start with the women's team sprint. So Germany. Um, continued their dominance. Um, they've been the best team, sprint team for a bit, about a year now. They've won everything there is, and yep. they set their broke their own world record and were the first female team to go sub forty six. So they rode a forty five point nine six seven. Um, and reason why there is so many world records tumbling in the women's team sprint recently is because if you recall to the Olympic Games, women's team sprint was only two riders. Yep. Now they've upped it to three to match um, the men's one essentially to go and get a good comparison. And let's put this in perspective. My fastest team sprint time with some local guys I race with is a 48-point something.
1: Wow, okay.
2: Yeah, so they are shifting. If this time, this would have secured a silver medal, I think, or maybe even a gold at my state titles. And we had a pretty quick team who won the gold medal. So this is a monster time. Um, and people who came in second is the people, People's Republic of China, um, which you think China, you don't think like a strong cycling nation, but when it comes to track sprinting, sprinting specifically and team sprint events, they are, mon- they are units, they are so good at it. They've beaten, they've been world champions and Olympic champions yeah. in the past. Um, like, they're just a consistently strong sprinting squad always strong
1: and they are rocking the looks against
2: yeah, so the looks now yeah so you know that guy rare bikes on instagram yeah he has he's had um ex china team bikes like ex looks and stuff for sale and they've got the nicest paint jobs you'll ever see shame they're all extra smalls and smalls but yeah they look mint like one thing that china knows how to do is make a helmet and bike look really nice
1: yeah yeah also german writers they were rocking bio racer skin suits yes they were yeah which is interesting yeah Yeah, true and so the germany took gold china took silver and i'm just going to talk about uh bronze for a second yep but um it was uk versus netherlands Mm-hmm. Uh, and UK took it. It was a really, really close one. So UK oh, took yeah. it was zero point oh oh eight seconds. Super oh, close race. <laughs> Super interesting. And one thing that shook me for a sec for a second was, uh, UK is obviously riding on the Lotus Hope bikes, right? Yes. They're not using Hope wheels anymore. They were rocking Campy Disc. <laughs>
2: I don't, something about the UK and they will use the sponsor's equipment. But like, remember when the Cervelo T5 came out, not the T4, the T5, like the GB edition, there was reports that by the next year's world champs, so they raced those at 2016 Rio games by 2017, most of them were broken (laughs) because they were so finicky and so high modulus that they were so brittle. They were monster stiff. But they couldn't put up with travel, um, and I just imagine that UK doesn't have enough hope wheels going around to give to all their riders because this mm. UK team is super young, and I don't even know if all of them were on hope bikes. They might have been on the UKSI, so the Institute of Sport over there. They produced some of them were yeah. Um, so I think it might just be like a funding thing. They only give it to their top riders. And once they have a young team who can prove that they're in a position for, like, a gold medal write-off, they might be like, hey, we need better equipment.
1: Yeah. Mm. Actually, I was going to talk about it. For the men team sprint. Oh, yes. Great race. And... Again, uh, for the bronze, it was UK versus Germany. But one of the sprinter was using uh, a, an old UKSI bike. Mm. And it was obvious when you had the other sprinters all using like super wide uh, Lotus bikes.
2: Yeah, it's... um. It's super interesting. I mean, it just shows how dependable and reliable those um, SI bikes are because they have been around for. Oh, they first developed those when um um what's his name? How he's a he's been knighted. How am I forgetting his name? Um, uh, Boardman. Not Boardman. Big Kilo, right? I can't remember. He he's been knighted <laughs> and he's like Kilo champ multiple times. He's a legend of track cycling and he raced um over um. Sir Hoy, Chris Chris Hoy. Oh, okay. That's who it is. He was racing on those UKSI bikes. That's when they first came out. No doubt they've been changed since then, but the design is obviously still good. It's, still, it's a
1: weird-looking bike, especially the stem and fork config. It looks completely out of shape because the fork is so thin. For a split second, I was looking at it on my laptop, and... Not that my laptop doesn't have a big enough screen, but for a split second, I was like, is this a steel fork? <laughs> is this really a steel fork? Because it's so thin. Yeah, you're just looking for that
2: little Chris King headset somewhere in there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and even um, oh, I know a couple of the girls, so the women's team sprint team, they are all very young and they're coached by Carly McCulloch, who's an ex-Australian champion. Um, Mm -hmm. really great coach. He's obviously doing wonderful work over there. Um, But they're all even on those Alpina sprint bars, which are like very affordable sprint bars that any of us can pick up right now. There's heaps of them everywhere. They're just super reliable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Price doesn't always make the best gear you can find, I guess. Exactly.
2: I mean, if you just want something to be dependable and if you break it, you can replace it. I mean, (laughs) they can just go pop down to the Dolan (laughs) shop and pick up a new set
1: exactly
2: yeah now i think we'll get into the men's team sprint which for me was i mean i'm going to be biased as hell here but it was probably the ride of the whole series for me it's easily top three it might even be my favorite ride so australia finally beat the dutch dynasty they finally dismantled the dutch team and beat them in the event that the dutch have dominated for so long so, the Australians haven't yeah. won the team sprint since um, 2012, so 10 years now. And funny thing is, Glazer was in that team. <laughs> it just shows you how long he's been oh, around wow. for. He's getting a bit old now, but he's still a rocket ship. Um, and another super exciting thing is um, Hoffman, Lee Hoffman set a standing start world record. So, he wrote 250 meters in 16.949 seconds, which is mental. Like That is... I mean, it's a world record. No one's ever done it before, but it was absolutely ballistic watching that. Fucking hell. Yeah. yeah, and, like, it was really funny. I was watching one of the streams for it, and they had a commentator going, and they only focused on the Dutch team, who I think Sam Lichtley or something is their starter. He didn't have a great start. Mm-hmm. It was like 17-4, so a fair bit off the pace. Um, but they were just focusing on him on the camera and they didn't look at the Australian team. And then the split (laughs) pops up and he's half a second ahead and we're like, holy shit, what's happening? Um, But to be fair, Lovresen and Hoogland, they managed to bring back half a second, which in a team sprint is unheard of. They just, just beat, just got beaten, sorry, by the Australians. Like I think it was 0.009 or 8 or something. Very similar. Um Yeah. But I if you look, there's good footage of Matthew Richardson post race and he is going through hell. Like this man can hardly stand up. There's like him getting photos with Glazer and Cornish and stuff. And he's in tears, man. Like he is absolutely hammered. He had to go lay down and pour water on his face. Like he couldn't even get excited for winning the bands. He was just on the sure. verge of death. Like Oh, it's just just a monster effort all around, and it's no world record. The world record is way out of sight for now. That the Dutch team set, I think it's like a forty-one-two, and Australia rode a forty-one-six. Like the Dutch team kind of get close to their own time now. Like that ride was like one in a million kind of thing. So it will be a while until we see something like that again.
1: This being said, it's been a Dutch strategy for a while to rock those. Really, really big ratios, yeah. and you kind of have a slow start. But as soon as you start, keep like putting yourself to a good pace. Oh my god, they're yeah, fast, I mean... and we're gonna see that in a, in a few other yeah. uh, the, the the rest of of the event. They were monsters. Yeah, even
2: though they lost the team sprint, they still won everything else. So I don't think that can be too sad.
1: Yeah, and they have. I'm I'm a big fan of the dutch steam but it's more of a visual thing it's those skoga bikes was the Ooh. really really long stem yeah,
2: the kin size they are beautiful they are they are really nice frames yeah man i wish i could have one
1: uh <laughs> but but in australia i don't know how your mates were would you would look at you Oh, i don't care
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, and what this is this bike has beaten Australians on many occasions. <laughs> Doesn't mean <laughs> I will, but actually there is, there is a Koga down South somewhere. A mate of mine who lives in Brisbane does own like an older Koga. Um, free Kinsai. Uh-huh. I think it was like the K- Chimera maybe.
1: Um, oh, the one was the, the kind of fly in and the tube. Yes, tubes. it looks sick. And he
2: gets it clear yeah. every couple of years to keep it looking fresh. It's a, they, they make lovely bikes, Koga. Like, they are really quite nice.
1: Uh, for the next one, I have Men Team
2: Pursuit. What about you? Men Team Pursuit. Is that on day two? Yes, day two. Um, Dan Bigham, he got one up on Ghana. He finally pulled a quick one on him and um, G Great Britain came away with the um, World Champs jersey. So they secured gold and um, Italy silver and Denmark secured bronze. So that particular ride, um, Bigham was using his hour record bike and the rest of the team was on the Hope Lotus bikes and yep. they managed, yeah, to hold off the Italian team. Like, Gannon was pulling his heart out to try and drag him back, but Great Britain just had an answer for every question that Italy came to them with. Um, interesting enough, in the bronze final, where Denmark just beat Australia, one of the Denmark riders was actually using the Canyon Speedmax that we just talked about, but completely debadged, so just all blacked out.
0: Oh yes,
2: and I don't, uh, I I couldn't find which rider was on it, but I have like a niggling suspicion, um, suspicion that he might be part of Alperson, um, Dekernick the road team, oh. and they are obviously yeah. a Canyon sponsor, so I wouldn't be shocked if they're like, hey man, here's a bike, go and use it.
1: True. One thing that I forget to mention about the new Canyon track bike is, uh, it's a through axle bike.
2: Yeah, I think, yeah, because I know the um, argons are as well. If you put in those d- disc wheels, yeah,
1: yeah, and it's it's a new thing for the track world. I mean, new being like already two years old now, but uh, yeah, through axles coming to track bikes and changing our world forever. Yeah,
2: I think it makes a lot of sense because how long have um axles and bolts been around for like we, forever? Yeah, we need something new, like I think that might be the next. Big thing. I mean, it already is a fairly big thing. Like most of the looks that you purchase, the look T20s are through axles, the Argons are yep. through axle, um, the Fezzes I think are through axle as well. So that top tier has pretty much all gone through axle, and there obviously is like an arrow gain, but there's also a stiffness gain to a degree too. Yeah, and you don't have to worry about stripping off bolts and damaging bolts and stuff. So I can see a lot of positives for it.
1: I mean, when it's through axle, you just put your axle through there and it doesn't move anymore. Yeah, it's You have no risk of making a standing start, pushing like all your watts and your will getting out of whack in the first split second. Yeah,
2: so there's a lot of benefits to it. Like, I'm all for it. I wouldn't mind sometime in the near future being able to pick up a new track frame, but again with this new technology well new being the last two years for us normal consumers it's a bit difficult to get wheels built up in race wheels which are through axle as well um so i i'm just going to stick with the bolts and the old stuff until i can um i guess consistently purchase through axle equipment but yeah it's um exciting to see where the world of track is going
1: yeah so, on the men team's pursuit, uh, coming back on what you were saying, the Italy, even if Italy didn't win this one, oh my god, they came ready with the gold yes. uh, flex track bikes.
2: Yes. They're like, look at me, I am world champ and Olympic champion, There's exactly. nothing to do about it
1: versus uh, versus uh the uk and they were all blackouts. but uh i believe uh dan bigham was rocking his uh princeton wheels yes, hot pink and so on one side they're black <laughs> but on the other side they're pink yeah it looks and sick you just see a massive black mass just going really fast around the track and two pink dots in the middle yeah. of it yeah <laughs>
2: oh it was great like it's so it was so funny to spot him because they looked like such a professional outfit like they were all on the same bikes they were all wearing the same kit and there's just this really tiny man with a hot pink pig stuck on the rear side of his disc <laughs> calling the team to victory like one thing that i found really interesting is that gana didn't actually use his hour record bike for the team pursuit i think he might not be coming. not for this yes, one he yeah. used it for the ip but i think it might be like a control issue maybe Like he's just not used to riding it with others because he hasn't had to ride it with others before. So I think it might just be a safety and familiarity trying to dodge wheels at 65k an hour when you're pulling back into trains and stuff. So, But I mean, we're getting to the women's team pursuit and that actually saw a reversal of the results. So Italy obliterated Great Britain um, in the women's team pursuit just absolutely monstered them like i think great britain didn't even finish with three riders like they just fell apart um and again they were on those extremely wonderful looking i don't think they they didn't have the gold cat color scheme but the pinarello still looks super neat with that metallic blue color scheme but that's super beautiful to look at
1: it's a good looking bike i'm glad they, they they got them back yes oh
2: uh, oh, when I from, from the yeah. last
1: uh, track championship when they like, I think 20 bikes uh, got stolen at their hotel.
2: Yeah, see, okay. So this is coming from me who you like to kindly put as a semi pro, but when I go away to competition, I don't leave my bike in the hotel. Usually I leave it at the velodrome where they have security, they have secure rooms. And I don't know why the Italian team would be like, let's go to our dodgy motel and sit them in a room somewhere with no full-time security.
1: I, I don't remember when where they found them, but uh it it might be just my imagination, but I believe I read that it was like in a in a shed somewhere in Russia. <laughs> uh like the all those amazing pieces of equipment, 3D printed titanium and shit, uh only fitting one writer uh and and yeah in, in the middle of nowhere
2: yeah I, I remember it was like a very obscure country and it was linked to some kind of drug ring too of course it was
1: yeah mm,
2: romanian police recover as t- Italia's stolen golden romania right ago.
1: right oh, yeah so out. back on the woman team sprint yeah, so, no woman woman team pursuit sorry yeah, women's team pursuit so yeah Great
2: Britain came out with the silver and I can't actually, who who got third? I can't quite remember that.
1: I don't know, but I remember that. I mean, I remember, no, I've seen that the British team, the, especially the woman part of the team, they're all really young. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Archibald isn't that young anymore, but She's still, oh my God, she's a strong she's rider. probably their best Enduro female rider. Yet. Yeah, she's really, really good. But there is potential, but they're just not quite there yet.
2: I mean, they're going through like every club will go, or every nation will go through like a rebuilding phase. And I think what yeah. that's what Australia has been going through recently with their sprint squad. Like they've had Glatzer, but he's had to come back from um, a cancer scare and stuff. And they're finally back at the peak of it. Um, and knowing Great Britain, they will be back at the top through technology gain or just through um, exciting training methods, but they will be back at the top. And I've got third place. Third place was France. They just beat Australia for um, ah, okay. the entered out Australia. So Australia fourth in both pursuit events, unfortunately, but good on France. They rode a good race.
1: The French woman team is, like, super promising, mm. like really, really good. No, yeah it's um
2: the australian team has a bit of work to do when it comes to our enduro squad like i think we're going through that rebuilding phase it's just annoying what happens mm-hmm. is they built the the australian track enduro squad they build up all these excellent riders like they were world champs only a couple of years ago but then they get picked up for road teams in europe because you're not making any money as a track cyclist Which is stupid. Yeah, like, I think Hoogland and La and live in a share house. (laughs) They're the most successful track riders in the world right now. It's just the sad reality is there's not really any money in track cycling.
1: Yeah. So, I think on day two uh, was the woman elimination race. They were riding super tight and a crash took out four riders. Yeah.
2: Elimination. Looking at the
1: replay, maybe the Japanese rider went a little bit Not off track, but kind of a dodgy move and then took three other took out three other riders, but Sophie Lewis riding on her Cervelo She goes back on her bike and like gets back to the peloton like amazing was you can see her bloody butt cheek because oh, butt she just, out, like, yeah, the skin suits torn yeah <laughs> yeah she went all over the track and she makes top 5 <laughs> monster ride that's the do it come on <laughs> come on she makes top 5 and then at the so at the elimination she's like yeah no i'm good top 5 is good and she completely drops yeah, but fair. this event was dominated by the Belgian Kopecki. Yeah, Lotte Kopecki, and she takes the first place against the Italian in the last sprint, and it was it was a
2: good race. I mean, if you follow any women's road cycling, you know who Lotta Kopecki is. She's arguably one of the best female riders top five quite easily in the world um at most times of the year like she's super strong super reliable um and Jess, she's just a monster she's just a very strong rider in a lot of different disciplines yeah yeah and i guess also on that day there was um dylan bibich a canadian rider he secured canada's Mm -hmm. first um first world bands and i don't know if it's their first ever but it's their first in a long time. And he won that in the scratch race. And he he won by a fair bit too. Like it was very, it was a very convincing win. Uh-huh. And he edged out um, one of the Japanese riders, Kabuki. And Netherlands had a... Sorry, yes, Netherlands. Sorry, they had a bronze medal with Roy Efting, which is good to see the Netherlands Endurance Squad doing well as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, now to the the arguably the most prestigious event, arguably for sprint riders, is the Kieran. So Lavresen just showed why he is the best male sprinter for the last four or five years. Like he won his fourth jersey in a row, I believe. Um, yep. And it would just look like a dress rehearsal of the Olympics. Lavresen goes 500 metres out, or well, Hoogland sets him up, then Hoogland drifts back to second and just kind of holds that position, which interferes with the riders behind him. Because I know yeah. no doubt Hoogland's trying to win it, but he probably knows he doesn't have that peak speed like Løvlandsen does. So he's just like, I'm just going to hold here and give my mate gold while I secure silver. And it just that's just so powerful, man. Like there's nothing the other riders could have done.
1: It is such a rocket combo. Oh, They're it's, so good. It's so broken. It's ridiculous.
2: Like imagine that squad with a Hoffman um, Hoffy team sprint start <laughs> and in the <laughs> second and third wheel. Like that would have, that would have been like a world record front, I reckon.
1: Have you seen that one of them, uh, collided was the a French rider oh, after the finish? Yes. Um,
2: Sebastian Vigier, I think. Yeah, that would, I think they're probably seeing double after an effort like that. That was just really unnecessary, weird little accident. Yeah. It was just, yeah, they're probably still doing 60 K an hour.
1: Yeah. One thing that uh took me by surprise on uh, in the woman in the man's Kieran, sorry, is the Japanese rider taking the first place behind the pacer, like going all out for the beginning, and he dropped last at the first attack. Yeah, I mean
2: he's probably in a position he doesn't want to ride from and even though Japanese are the inventors of the Kieran and it's their, like national race you see at that level they're not as competitive as what you think they would be um but then again he probably has more money than all the riders in that race combined (laughs) just because they they have they earn so much cash over there in racing um and i guess we should not forget third place so it's it's a colombian rider kevin um santiago quintero Chavarro. he if you watch any track racing he's consistently up there like he's I think he won a kilo at a track nations cup when there was no Netherlands riders there. Like he's a very solid rider. Um, and he was using an exciting new sprint bar from Valor flyer. And I think they might've been originally Dixie flyer. I think it's a American or Canadian um, manufacturer Mm -hmm. and they are a really weird looking bar. If you get a chance to have a look at a photo, they, they don't drop a lot. They have very little drop and they kick out quite aggressively. Um, you just, it's hard to explain them, but they look super awkward from front on. Like, they look like an old mustache bar. Just Could you carbon. link me to that so I can put them in the show notes? Sure, will do. Yeah, so they look. I guess the best way I can put it is they look like a mustache bar. <laughs> just full
1: carbon <laughs> and arrow. All right. One bike that we haven't seen in this event was uh, the Vortec. Yes,
2: yeah, so well, there's no yeah because the Malaysian guy didn't make the final. he made the seven to twelve, which Glazer and Richardson took out, but yeah, he didn't make it through to the one to six. yeah, I think um good old Malaysia bless their hearts, so they have some excellent riders, but I think they're in a bit of a rebuilding phase as well. yeah but they've got some they had riders all enter for the team sprint um, women's and men's. they just didn't qualify for the top eight, so you didn't really get to see them a whole lot. Um, But then again, there's only like one or two Malaysian riders using those Vortec bikes. The rest of them are on BTs or something like that. Quite a few BTs at the event too. Oh, yeah. BT just shows that... (sighs) I'm kind of sad that BT is no longer the Australian um, sponsor for bikes because they're an Australian company based out of Melbourne. But, I mean, you got Argon coming to them being like, hey, we're going to give you a lot of research and development and we can update our bikes every four years. It's kind of like, uh, do you want to win medals or do you want to have like a sense of national pride by riding Australian bikes? So
0: true. Yeah. Mm.
2: So, move on to day three now. Day three, the men's points race. It saw France secure one of their many world champs bands. They are a very dominant male enduro yep. squad. Um, mainly in those bunch start events. So your points race, your Omniums, your Madisons, they are really good at that stuff. I I believe his name is Yuri Havik. That's how you pronounce it. He secured world champ bands in the points race. And absolute world tour GOAT and lead out specialist Roger Klug um, had to settle for silver in that regard. So, again, if you watch any world tour racing, you know who Roger Klug is. He's an old man. He's been around forever, but he's a very dependent lead out man for the Australian Caleb Ewan. Now, this is the most dominant display I saw all, I guess, all events. So the men's kilo. So one kilometre time trial standing start. I'm going to swear because it deserves (laughs) it. He fucking murdered the competition. There was no one close. He rode a 58.1 at sea, sea level-ish, which is absolutely insane, and his closest competitor was Melvin Landeneau, French fella, beat him by 1.4 seconds.
1: Oh, my
2: God. In a kilometre. That's a massive amount. That's usually like 1.4 seconds is like... There's like eight riders within 1.4 seconds of each other, and he just... Just no chance. Just Yeah. It's just a soul-crushing win. Um, and, again, we spoke about before, Hoogland used those pro-missile Evo bars and so did Landon. No, I don't know about, um, sorry, I think it's the Spanish guy, Alejandro Chotto, who secured third. Um, but I just want to talk about the gears they were using. So I was counting their cadence going into the last bend and the on-screen speedo was reading 62, 63K an hour And I don't think their cadence was any higher than 65 RPM. Oh, my God. That's slow. That's slow, yes. And I try to do some calculations, and that places their gears at around the 150-inch mark. Which is in terms of gear ratio? Which is like it would be around like a 70-13, I think, a 70-something. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah, so... I'll pull up the velo bike calculator but I think it was around a 70 13 gave you 150 like I don't even do standing start practices for strength training on on like anything that big because I don't own anything that big but this the sheer fact that these guys can get that up and running and hold it yeah. and cross the line and not want their legs yeah so around actually sorry 70 12 gets you 157 okay but they're probably not using 12, so let's just go up to a 75. <laughs> there you go. So around a 75.13 is that 155 mark, which I think is around the ballpark they would have been using, just counting cadence.
1: Are you even allowed to have that size of a chain ring? Yeah. Yeah, if your bike can fit it. Holy fuck. It's yeah, it's a- Jeffrey Hoogland, it's his third world title, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, he has been unbeatable in this event recently. He's Olympic champ as well, and no one has been close to him for a long time now. Um, strangely enough, there was no Australian riders competing in the kilo. No Glazer, no Richardson, no no one, which was a bit shocking considering Glazer just went sub minute at Commonwealth Games with a sprint setup. But I honestly reckon they're still having issues with the TT setup for those blokes that's why they didn't race the kilo
1: i mean if if there is like one race they can actually like cool down a little bit and get advantage on on the next one they might as well do it
2: exactly and i think like these guys are going so deep every single race that yeah something has to give hoogland pulled out of the sprints because he was too cooked from the previous days so I guess the Australians are probably like, we have a better chance at winning the sprint rounds than we do the kilos, so let's focus on the sprint rounds. Yeah. And I guess we'll move on to another very dominant performance, and that was by Ganner in the men's individual pursuit. Yep. And he um, he broke our good friend's record, Ashton Lambie, ex-podcast guest. <laughs> um, Indeed. Ganner wrote a, Ganner wrote a 359.6... which took a fair chunk of change out of Lambie's record which was a .9 I think so he didn't just beat it by a little bit he took a lot off that record um, and he was using his world hour She was using the new bike He he was using the new bike yes and we know how fast that thing is so if it was going to happen he was going to do it today and he managed to do it
1: I would pay lots of money to see that in person Oh, I mean you could have gone and watched it Paul couldn't you Yeah I could but I had stuff to do this weekend and yeah, the, I don't know if you've seen on the, on on the videos but the um, uh, the velodrome is full it like, was packed yeah it yeah. is yeah. full oh. and when some french riders so for example in, in in the when the french riders were in first position for example, into the, the women's sprint that we're going to talk later, the stadium was on oh, wow. fire. Yeah. It was crazy.
2: Uh, it was insane. Like, I think when we talk about the women's 500 metre, um, Marie Devine Kwame, she, oh, when the, um, the German girl didn't quite, beat her and she secured gold man that was so loud like usually velodromes aren't it's not the loudest sport in the world for yeah. the like football stadium but that was getting close to it
1: the one thing about the germans though uh into that that woman's sprint is they look good they look really good like black suit uh no like black helmet like visor on the black fast yeah. really really low position for that rider it looked yeah. scary
2: they are honestly the women's um german squad like they are some of the most terrifying humans on earth but the videos of them just sitting there waiting for their race mm. is, uh, like you look at there was a good photo good video of the canadian team getting ready for their team sprint rounds. It's like they're, like, having a laugh, talking to each other. And then there's the three German girls, just no emotion, staring off into the distance. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How German like, of and... them.
2: I know. It's like there's no such thing as fun. We are just here to cause pain <laughs> in <win> races.
1: <laughs> One thing that uh, interesting that happened on on day three is uh, the woman tempo race. And so... Oh, yes. The U.S. rider Jennifer, so she takes a few sprints early on, and to to win some points, and you know, like she goes back to take her breath, and again she takes a, another sprint. She wins a few points, but at some point in the race, there is a tiny little group, a tiny little breakaway, that will just go ahead of the actual peloton and unfortunately at that precise moment she was at the back and then she tried so hard to fill the gap to go into that new breakaway group that was at the front but she couldn't
2: Uh, Uh, those like any points race, tempo race, bunch races they are brutal man, like if you're not in position if you just like not not focusing for a couple laps like your race can be over and there's not much you can do about it yeah Uh, i've never been a i've never been a fan of them just because i'm not that kind of rider i'm not an enduro person but man they you're just on constantly and there's no rest yeah she did win the omnium overall though but yeah yeah i mean those people who do omniums and win omniums they are insane humans like they have to do pursuits they have to do all types of exciting stuff um it's just consistent torture, really, and they seem to enjoy it.
1: Absolutely. Mm. Uh do we have anything else for day three? Day three, I don't think
2: uh let's have a look. Um Oh yes, I mean the, the act of the sprint event, we touched on it briefly, but yeah, Mathilde Groh, so she dethroned one of the German queens of the sprint events. Sophie Friedrich, and then Emma Hines um, beat um belgian i oh, sorry dutch Lorien van brisen for bronze so germans didn't quite get their world champs bands but they showed that they are still extremely strong and it's it's always good to see a home rider win at their home velodrome because mm. you know the crowds when they really get into it so it, it if you're not a supporter of the germans it's a good thing i guess but yeah if you're a german supporter it's a bit sad to see um emma hines not sorry not emma hines i'm um, sophie kind of stepped down from that top level yeah and I guess on to day four now, and I think it had one of my other rides of the, of the tournament for me, which was not won by an Australian, which was the women's, um, I'll just go straight to the women's 500 meter.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So they obviously went through qualifying rounds. Um, Australian Christina Clonan secured herself a top eight position. You also had Marie devine Qualmy, um, who's a really exciting young French rider, And you had other big names like Emma Hines and stuff, Kelsey Mitchell, all legends of the sport. So I was really hoping Christina could pull something out of the bag there because she was the fastest at Commonwealth Games by a mile and she has been setting really good 500 metre times but couldn't quite do it this time around, had to settle for a fifth. And it's super cool to see Christina doing well because I used to race with her at like... um, we had a national junior track series running in Australia and we'd travel down as a big Queensland state group and she'd be with the group. So kind of know her a little bit and it's exciting to see her doing so well. But Marie Devine, her ride was incredible. Massive gear off the start. Her first lap wasn't as fast as the um, Chinese girl who secured third, um, but her last lap was just massively fast and once again the French crowd just lost it because she wasn't the fastest qualifier I believe Emma Hines was yeah. so Emma went last um, and it is a bit sad when you see like someone not beat the time but then everyone erupts and starts cheering Yeah, but I mean good on her for having a crack she got close but yeah Marie was just just untouchable in that 500 meter it's not like she won by a little bit she still won by 0.2 which is a decent chunk at that top level.
1: Yeah. One uh, even that was quite interesting on day four was the Woman Madison. Oh, yes. And oh. I, it's, I think it's the first time I've seen that, but uh, one of the Italian rider, she was using a, a Bora Ultra front wheel, so a normally spoked front wheel. Dip dish, right. though, but, you know, normal front wheel. Uh, and I thought that was quite interesting.
2: That is, I imagine that might be just like a um equipment shortage or something. Because usually you'd be running a five spoke. I Maybe know. Maybe she's right? not comfortable running a five spoke. But yeah, that's um, that's I didn't pick up on that. Good pickup.
1: Uh, but again, dominated by the Belgians. Like, yeah, they're, incredible, they're and a little crash between uh, New Zealand and UK.
2: That was a massive crash. I watched that. That was like a that was a big impact. I know, <laughs> so but the, have you proper. seen the
1: French rider in that crash? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. So the, the the I don't remember if it's New Zealand or UK, but one of them literally goes right into like side collision into the French rider and bounce of it. The French one, pulse. Yeah just yeah she's just an absolute brick wall yeah i think it was
2: a new zealand rider who pulled up into her yeah and the french rider just didn't move just locked in it was really impressive it was i mean keeping your stability at that speed when you're that tired takes a lot of skill yeah and i feel bad for the french team because they, they they secured a medal they secured silver but they got beaten by one point
1: Yeah, only one point. One point. Oh, and I saw one
2: of the French riders was a bit emotional about it. Yeah,
1: she cried a bit. I mean, yeah, you you did get
2: just beaten by one of the best world tour riders in the world, so I don't think you can be too harsh on yourself.
1: True, especially when you're so young into your career.
2: Exactly. You've got, I mean, and just be such a nice experience to race a world champs in your home country. Yeah. And once again, Australia secured fourth so no medal for australia but denmark um show that they've got a strong women's um endurance squad securing third but it was kind of a best of the rest scenario they were quite a few points mm. behind all right yeah. so what what is what was the next race on that day four because i uh
1: the men' madison Ooh. happened oh yes did the men's sprint was on day four
2: um, they they split the finals across two days so right. they have qualifying the 1 to 16 1 to 8 finals and then they go into the semis
1: and again it's the the five. dutch harry Levison, that just yes. dominated everything just, and and took his fourth title
2: in a row yeah he just walked it like i was uh, I was a bit sad when it, the way the seating all went and the qualifying rounds went. The two Australians had to verse each other. Yeah, right. For um, the gold medal write-off, and I just knew Richardson would, because Glates is more of a kilo rider, he's better over a slightly longer distance, whereas Richardson is like a 500-meter monster. Like He is the fastest in Australia for that kind of distance. So I knew he would take it out and I was hoping he would be the one to verse Leveresson because he's Commonwealth Games champ. Um, didn't He got dominated by Leveresson, but it's super exciting. Richardson is a very young guy still and is a bit older than him. So we might see Richardson take that top step in a couple years when age starts to take a toll if it ever does on those Netherlands guys. We're not sure yeah. yet. They might still be just as fast when they're older, but. Yeah, yep. that was a, That was an exciting race. And um, Polish rider, I can't remember his name, Polish guy, um, he was beaten by Glatzer in two rounds. Uh, Mat- I think it's Matthias Rudzik, I think. My Polish isn't very good, um, but it's really good to see a smaller nation like Poland still showing out in oh, a sprint yeah. event. Uh, he should be very happy with that result.
1: Yep. And finally, the men's Madison... 200 laps, an average oh, yeah. speed of 58.6 kilometers an hour?
2: Yeah, 58.6, I mean, that's insane. Come
1: on. So they, they, they closed the event, uh, they ended the event in uh, 51 minutes. So that was oh, really, God. really fast. Uh, and again, <laughs> really endurance fast. racing, French domination... The French are just really good when it comes to long streaks and long races.
2: Yes, they are, especially the men's team, because I think um, one of them is a he rides for a French World Tour team as well, So, and he's strong on the road as well. So that French squad's pretty stacked when it comes to men endurance races, and they, you know, they just cleaned up the field. They won really easily, that men's Madison. Yeah. Like no one really came close let's have a look yeah no like great britain and yeah they no one else was close everyone was almost 20 points off france so good showing by them really well done yeah yeah did we not miss
0: miss anything
2: let's double check don't think actually no women's we missed out on the women's individual pursuit oh right yeah, that's an important one so Germany secured the gold in that with Franziska Braus, and she, I think, she is also a road rider as well as most of them are. And unfortunately, like this race was so so close. Like um, the New Zealand girl, um, Byroni Botha, she is an excellent rider as well. New Zealand still has some really strong women enduro riders. She was lead. She was behind, then she was leading, leading until the last lap when Francisca just had a little bit more to give and she just had that punch in the last lap to secure the um, secure the gold medal. Now for the bronze, you had Josie Knight from England, again showing that the English Enduro squad still had something to say about the German dominance in the female world of cycling and just edged out um, Miek Kroger for that medal there. But I think that is pretty much all the major events
1: that's at least that I can see. All all the interesting bits that I've seen. Yes. And that was a packed event. Yeah, that was.
2: I mean, if you guys want to have a look, the UCI actually has a really good um, website looking at all the results. It will give you all the time splits. You can look at qualifying, you can look at finals. Um, so, I'd recommend if you want to see something more in depth, have a look there. Because once again, we can only cover so much
1: exactly. in
2: this podcast.
1: Well, guys, it's already been an hour. Um, and I guess quick. that's going to be it for this episode of Dip Dish Discussions. Everything we discussed today will be in the show notes on the blog, uh, along with an ocean of other content uh fixed gear cycling belated you can also find us on our discord server the invite link is also in the show notes and yeah i mean that's gonna that's gonna be it for this episode of the dip dish discussion yeah Yeah, excellent
2: thank you paul and i hope everyone enjoys listening to this episode
1: love it we'll see you guys next time we'll see you have a good one bye See you later